So have you ever come across something that didn't make any sense? Something that was just kind of confusing. You, you weren't really sure what was happening. Well, I came across a few of those this week. Uh, particularly one of them was grades in school. Now, I'm pretty sure I've made all of them. I've made some A's and some B's. I've made some C's and some D's. I'm pretty sure on a few quizzes in biology at Clemson, I think I made an F or two. So I've got all the letters covered except E. What happened to E? A, B, C, D, F. Why did E get left out of the grade book? This, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No one's ever made an E or an E minus or E plus. If I would have made an E, I, I probably would have done better in school once or twice. So why is it that E got left out of the grade book? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'll tell you another thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Have you ever seen those little bags of M&Ms? On the, the label, it's called fun size. What is fun about getting fewer M&Ms? I want more M&M's. I don't want less M&M's. It doesn't make sense that a, a fun size would be a smaller bag of M&M's. On a little bit of a, a higher level, this is the official Supreme Court ruling, or at least a portion of it, from a case last May in India. And it goes like this. The batch of writ petitions preferred under Article 32 exposits cavil in its quintessential conceptuality and percipient discord between venerated and exalted right of freedom of speech and expression of an individual exploring manifold and multilayered, limitless, unbounded, and unfettered spectrums and the controls, restrictions, and constrictions under the assumed power of reasonableness ingrained in the statutory provisions relating to criminal law to reviver and uphold one's reputation. Amen. Well, sure, yeah. I mean... I mean, I got all that, right? I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, that is crystal clear, right? Sometimes we have things in life that don't make sense, but, but far beyond just wordy court rulings and far beyond bags of candy that are way too small, there are, are real things in life that don't make sense, right? There are some things in life that are unexpected, some things that are confusing, some things that are difficult, some things that are painful. And is there any help for things like that? Well, there is. There is help for things like that. But, but the help, at first glance, almost sounds like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what kind of help are we talking about? Well, let's find out. Psalm 23, verse 1, says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, that's, that's got a cool kind of sweet religious sound to it, right? I mean, put that on the front of a T-shirt or, or on a refrigerator magnet, put it on the inside of a Mother's Day card, and, and you'll have a little cheer that you can bring into someone's life. But if you put that down into real life, there is a sense that it may not make much sense. In fact, if you were to put that in, in some of the realest moments of life, you might even feel like, I, I don't really know if, if that's true. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's think through this. So imagine it's Friday night. You have been thinking about food all day long. And all you're thinking about is, man, I want to go to the steak pit with my spouse and have dinner. And, man, you just can't wait. And then your fantastic in-laws, they, they show up at the house right before you're getting ready to leave. And, and they say, hey, surprise, we want to take you guys out for dinner. But they're vegetarians. So the steak that you want, you may not be getting. That's a whole other surprise you would have for dinner. 
It's the end of the school year. There's some teachers that, that they want their students not to check out early. They want them to hang in there for, for all the rest of the days. But those teachers may not get what they want. And students, well, students, they're hoping that the teachers will dial it down a little bit on those year-end exams and, and maybe take some of the hardness out of those exams. But you know what? Those students, they may not get what they want. You know, regardless of where you're from or, or how old you are or, or what you do in life, all of us have really learned that lesson that we don't always get what we want. But is that what David is talking about? When David says, you know, I shall not want, is he saying, oh, that means that God's going to make sure that whatever I want in life, I'm going to get? Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying at all. See, think about what a shepherd does. A shepherd, by his very nature, he does three main things. He feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, and he protects the sheep. It's what he does. Sheep will never lack for those three things. They'll never want for those three things. They'll always have them. Now, granted, they may not, you know, have some, you know, organically grown kale chips to snack on, but, but they'll be fed. And they may not have their own individual Apple watches with GPS to guide them where they want to go, but, but they'll be led and they'll be guided where they need to be. They may not, you know, have a, a wolf-proof jumpsuit to wear all the time, but they will be protected. They may not have everything that they want, but they will have what they need. And so King David is saying, look, I understand who God is. God is the one who makes sure that all of my needs are met. I will have what I need. Now somebody might say, well, yeah, sure, he's a king. I mean, it's easy for a king to say, hey, I'm going to have everything I need. Because a king, his needs aren't just met, his wants are met. He'll have everything. See, that's what's, what's great, though, about this particular psalm. See, David probably wrote this when he was, like, maybe in his late 50s. And so he's looking back. He's looking back, and he's realizing all the things that God has done in his life. He's, he's realizing that God has been meeting his needs for a long time. And when did he start seeing that? When did he start seeing that, that God was, a, was feeding him and leading him and protecting him? Well, the first time he saw it was when he was just a boy. And you know what he did when he was a boy? He was a shepherd. <laughs> so, so David not just, just writing about this nice religious sweet idea. He actually knew what a shepherd was. When he was just a teenager, he was talking to King Saul one day, and he was telling Saul about why he was so confident in who God was. And this is what he said to him, 1 Samuel 17, verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. Let's just kind of get into this scene for a moment, all right? Imagine that you're 13 years old. You do not have a smartphone. You do not have an iPad. You don't have a pager. You don't have a rotary phone. You don't have anything, all right? And no one else in the universe has any of those things either. There is no electricity, so there's no street lights, and there's no house lights, and there's no night lights. There's, there's nothing. And in, in that setting, your parents tell you, hey, we want you to go about, I don't know, maybe five miles away from the house. We want you to find a field out by the mountain, and we want you to spend the night there by yourself. <laughs> you don't have a gun. You don't have a taser. You don't have a, a keychain with pepper spray. I mean, you don't, you don't have anything. You know, you're, just, you're just out in this field in the dark out by a mountain. But just feel that moment if it's you. you know? You're 13. You're out in, in pitch black. 
you're by yourself, you're alone, you're, you're probably a little bit afraid. And then throw in, I don't know, 125 smelly, dumb animals, you know? And you are in charge of them. You have to take care of them. They are valuable and expensive to your family. You have to make sure that nothing happens to them. You have to keep them safe. From what? From crickets? No. You have to keep them safe from lions and bears. I mean, really, if we're honest, if we're in that setting, I mean, we're probably going to be jumping every time the crickets pull out their violins and start playing. But lions and bears? This is a whole other world. Lions and bears, they're, they're not like crickets. They have, they have paws. They're able to hurt. They're able to kill. And so David is saying, man, Yahweh, Yahweh, how I trust him, how he has delivered me from lions and bears, or and or. Yahweh, Yahweh, precious Yahweh. Oh, that God would give me grace to trust him more. See, David's just stopping, and he's going, you know, when I was a young boy, God delivered me. He said, you know, when, when I was a teenager, God delivered me. And now as an older man, he's writing, and he's going, you know what, I need to remember that. I need to look back and remember what God has done, how he has delivered me. And really what he's doing is for people like me and you, he's helping us discover this unbelievable truth. And that truth is this, that God is a good, good shepherd who meets every need of his sheep. It's what he does. So, what is a need in your life right now? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What, what's kept you awake this week? What is it that you're even anxious about this morning, even while we're sitting here? What are those worries? What are those anxieties? What are those needs in your life? David says the Lord is a good, good shepherd, and he meets all the needs of his sheep. Someone might say, well, what if God doesn't meet my needs? What if I live in a, in a van down by the river, and, man, I, I don't have any money, and I don't have any food, I don't have nothing, and you tell me the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? I'm not going to make any connection with that in that moment. Or maybe you say, man, my, my marriage is falling apart, and man, I'm just, I'm just trying to get out of bed in the morning. I'm just trying to, to pull it together just to face my kids. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want you. I'm not making a connection with that in those moments. Or maybe I went to the doctor, and, and the doctor ran some tests, and, and it's something bad, and to, to, to cure it and to treat it is going to be crazy expensive, and, and my insurance, they're, they're saying they're not going to pay for it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not making any connections with that. Listen, I'd, I'd love to tell you that, you know, following God will make you healthy and wealthy and wise and all of the earthly definitions of that. But it won't because that's not what God promised. David knew that wasn't what God promised. No, the, the Lord's promise in being a shepherd is something completely different from us getting everything we want or even what we think that we need. You see, this phrase right here, shall not want, it, it could be translated this way, I shall not fail. I shall not come up short. I shall not be forsaken. I shall not be abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? Have you ever been abandoned? 
Well, the Lord, by the definition of who he is, promises his flock he will never abandon them. Joshua took over for Moses, and this is what the Lord promised to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 5. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. That promise has not changed for Joshua. It is the exact same promise that God gives to you when you commit your life to him. And that promise cannot fail. It cannot change. Why? Well, because in order for that to change, the very character and nature of God would have to change. And the character and nature of God cannot change because he is the only one that is holy, holy, holy. He's the only one that's other, other, other. He's the only one that we say he was and he is and he will be forever and ever and ever and ever. See, that's who God is. So no matter who abandons you in this life, No matter what nights you curl up in the bed afraid or angry and feeling abandoned, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will never be abandoned. That is a promise that cannot change. It is infinitely impossible. Why? I love what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, and we are, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If God has saved you, then you are his sheep. And being his sheep means that you're strategically part of who he is, and he cannot deny himself. It's impossible. So if God has saved you, then then you have to keep preaching to yourself over and over again. I will not lack peace. I will not lack love. I will not lack mercy. I will not lack grace. I will not lack hope. I will not ever lack deliverance. It is the promise of God. Someone might say, well, but what if I lack money? Charles Spurgeon says this, I have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. I have because I have him. So I say, well, what if I don't have enough strength to make it through what I'm in the middle of right now? Marshall Siegel says this, beyond everything I can see right now and lasting forever is a gift that can satisfy and protect me long after all my enemies are dead and gone. Who are your enemies right now? What is your enemy right now? The gift of God lasts long after your enemies are dead. And he says what? The gift is God himself. He is the goodness. If you don't have a a hymn book that has hymns that were written more than 100 years ago, find one, buy one, order one. If you don't like books, go online, look at uh, cyberhymnal.org or timelesstruths.org. Find find a way to read old hymns during your life because you'll find some things that just will transform your mind. 1868, Henry Baker wrote this. The king of love, king of love. My shepherd is, 
whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. That's what we mean when we say that God is our king. We will not lack because we always have him. He's our shepherd forever. But still, after all that we've said thus far, you may be still pushing back. There's, there's still something in your mind. There's some situation, some circumstance in your past. Maybe something happening right now. Maybe something you're afraid is going to happen in the future. And you just can't get over that hump of trusting the goodness of God as your shepherd. How do you push back against that? Well, the Bible is, is full of motivations for why we should trust in the goodness of God. I'm just going to throw out a couple here. Uh, just two. Uh, don't be foolish and don't refuse to look forward. Don't be foolish and don't refuse to look forward. This is what Paul said to the church at Rome, Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, don't be the person that says, well, I mean, I would probably believe more in God if he did whatever, fill in the blank. Or you might say, well, I don't know, I'd probably believe in God more, but, but I'm kind of mad at him right now because he didn't do blank. It don't, don't do that. Don't, don't put your heart in that trap. It's a trap. And it's a trap that's not good for you. You see, the, the beauty and the majesty of creation alone provides enough motivation to consider that every promise God has made about being a good shepherd is true. Every promise. So don't be foolish and don't refuse to look forward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So saving faith is confidence in what is not seen, at least not seen yet. A few years ago, there was a song written by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It has these words. Let us not grow weary or too content to stay because we're not home yet. Keep on looking ahead. Let your heart not forget we are not home yet. Yet. Do not be foolish and do not refuse to look forward. But still, you might be fighting even now in your mind. It sounds so good. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want that. That sounds great, but, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm in the middle of. How do I know that's really true? How do I know that God's really not going to fail me? How do I know that God's really not going to leave me or forsake me? How do I know this isn't just a, a cute religious slogan or, or a fun Christian lucky charm? Well, the reason we know and we hope that you will be able to know is because God has promised his shepherding with a paid guarantee. Well, what kind of guarantee? Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You've probably never overheard a conversation like this between a mom and a child at the beach. Hey, sweetie, the the lifeguards have put up a sign that says that the currents are strong today. They've also put up a sign that said, look out for jellyfish. They've also put up a sign that said, look out for sharks. So, sweetie, mommy's getting ready to put her earbuds in, and I'm going to take me a little nap. So if you go out in the water, just be sure to put your goggles on. I mean, unless you go to really weird beaches, you probably have not heard that conversation. Now, generally speaking, a mom and a dad, what they're going to do is everything they can to keep their children from harm. So here we have God not sparing his own son, not sparing Jesus. Not just allowing harm, but as Isaiah said, purposing harm. The Lord was pleased to crush him. So is God some kind of mean parent? Is is God this, this awful religious dictator because he wouldn't spare his own son? He would he would give his son over? No, he's not a mean parent, and he's definitely not a mean dictator. So why did he not spare Jesus? First Peter two twenty four. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why did God not spare Jesus? So that there would be a way for the curse of sin to no longer have a grip on your life. Why did Jesus endure the cross and all of its shame? So that there would be a way for the curse of sin to no longer have a grip on your life. Why did did Jesus endure the cross and and all its shame? Because he's a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep so that his sheep will be rescued. Don't miss that part. The greatest need of your life, all right, do the math real quick. You know, what kind of money do you need this week? Do you need a job? Do you need some help at work? Um, Do you you need some some insurance? Do you need your car fixed? Do you need your dishwasher fixed? Do you need your husband to be more sensitive? Do you need your wife to be more encouraging? Do you need your kids to do more chores? What is it? What, What do you need this week? Whatever it is, I can tell you all of those things start at number two. Because the greatest need of your life is to be rescued from the grip of the curse of sin. That is the greatest need of your life. And I plead with the Spirit of God to help you feel that in your heart. The greatest need is to be rescued. The greatest need is to be saved. So you may live in a a van down by the river. You may not have a a dime or a crust of, of bread to spare. But if you're believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus as your only source of hope, clinging to the one that God did not spare, clinging to the one that bore your sin in his own body, if you are clinging to him, if the Lord is your shepherd, then be of great and fantastic and wonderful cheer because you shall not want.
You shall not want because you have him. Now, let's see if we can kind of set this down into this particular day. Wendy Ossup is a, a mom and a wife. She is a math teacher. She's an author. Uh, I quoted her a few weeks ago uh, with, with something completely different, and I'm going to call on her again this morning to, to help us think about some important things involved with this particular day. Now, this might be one of the, the longest things I've ever read to you, but, but hang in there with me because uh, it is, it's pretty rich. This is what she writes. Mother's Day is a tricky holiday. Like any holiday, it is sweet for some and bitter for others. For some, it's both. I remember feeling on the outside looking in on Mother's Day, first as a single woman and then after I miscarried our first. Our church had an entrance near the nursery called the family entrance. Could I use it? Were we a family? I finally just used it regardless, almost as an act of defiance. Now, as the mother of a four- and a six-year-old, I can deeply appreciate someone setting aside parking near an entrance that kept me from having to walk my toddlers across a busy intersection. But at the time, I was dealing with emotions that weren't swayed by practical realities. I just wanted to be a mom. And that sign at the church entrance reminded me I wasn't. She goes on. It's an age-old conundrum in humanity in general and Christianity in particular. How do you honor someone who has something good that you want too? How do you applaud the sacrifices of one without minimizing the suffering of the other? I don't know exactly, but I do think there is an overarching principle that is helpful. And listen to that principle. Motherhood is not the greatest good for the Christian woman. Whether you are a mom or not, don't get caught up in sentimentalism that sets it up as some saintly role. The greatest good is being conformed to the image of Christ. The, the greatest good is to be rescued from the curse of sin and be conformed to the image of Christ and have the Lord God of Israel as your personal shepherd. That's the greatest good that exists. But then she gets specific. Single woman, I encourage you to look today at your longings through the lens of the gospel. You don't have to deny your longing or talk yourself into a happy attitude for all the good things you can do without kids. It's okay to mourn the loss. God said children are a blessing. But after the fall, we do not all get to experience that blessing. The gospel makes up the difference. While you are disappointed in deep ways that disappointment is real, you will one day sit with Jesus in heaven profoundly content with his work in you through the disappointment. In heaven, you will have no longing for something you missed. You will not be disappointed. May that confidence and that hope sustain you. And then she turns to married women. Married woman experiencing infertility, I encourage you with similar words. People can be callous with their words, especially in the church. But believe in confidence that God in this very moment loves you with a deep love. 
You may feel estranged from him, knowing that he has the power to give you that sweet infant that he has given so many around you. It seems like he is dangling a desire in front of you and teasing you with it. But understand, he is not. That unfulfilled desire he uses to give you even better things. Things of himself that you cannot know in easy ways. Believe in confidence that this time is a blessing, albeit in hard disguise. Because it is increasing your strength to run and not grow weary and to walk and to not faint. To wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord, dear sister, in confidence, she says. And then last for moms. And mom who fails her children regularly because that's everyone else. Preach the gospel to yourself this day. If you have any grasp on your reality, you are likely painfully aware of every failure you've made with your children. And maybe you're fatigued by the fears of failure as well. It's okay that your children expose your own sin. In fact, it's the mom who doesn't seem daily aware of her failures that would most concern me. Christ has made the way for you to be at peace. If you sinned against your kids, ask their forgiveness. If you're kicking yourself for your failures, preach God's grace to yourself. Don't learn to live with your sin. Don't embrace it with the attitude, oh, that's just how I am. But don't deny it either. Be honest about it. You sinned. Confess. God forgives. Get up. Walk forward in confidence. It's called gospel grace, and that is the legacy to leave your children. The gospel of grace is the legacy to leave your children. In other words, having the Lord as your shepherd is the life to live for any of us. And having the Lord as your shepherd is the only legacy of eternal value that you should leave. Is the Lord your shepherd? Then if so, you shall not want.